Are you new to the natural health world? Maybe you're starting to ask questions on how you can take radical responsibility over your health and make alternative options, but you're nervous to do so. Are you wanting to be well, but lacking confidence? If 2020 was a wake-up call to start learning more about the alternative ways to care for yourself and your family, then you're going to want to listen to this whole episode. Dr. Ben Tapper came on the show today to discuss the four pillars of health, the apparent medical industrial corruption, and how we can change our paradigm by being more healthy, all from a biblical perspective. This was a powerful episode, and there are so many wisdom gems in here that you're going to want to listen to it twice. Dr. Tapper is a Nebraskan conservative warrior from Omaha. He first gained national attention after a video of him speaking at an Omaha City Council meeting in response to the mask mandates went viral, accumulating more than 3 million views in just 24 hours. Dr. Tapper continued to speak out against MSM COVID-19 fear-mongering narrative with facts and statistical evidence. Of course, as a result of this, he is one of the most censored and banned people in America. He was even afforded the honor of being labeled as one of the disinformation dozen by the Biden administration, a group of affiliates determined to be responsible for about two-thirds of all the anti-COVID vaccine content on major, major social media sites and a direct threat to public health. So all because they continue to bring transparency to the corruption between Big Pharma and the government, and you will find few men more grounded and humble than Dr. Ben Tapper. He is a trailblazer in the medical freedom movement and someone you would be willing to go to war with. Dr. Tapper is also the man behind the film The Time Is Now, and he often says, my convictions are greater than my complacency, which could not be a better description of the mission that we all are living out. So speaking of the health and wellness paradigm, before we get in the show, I want you to know, you know me, right? I'm all about the natural wellness, give me all the herbal remedies, but I always do like to be prepared just in case. What happens if the supply chain shortages happen again or natural disaster happens and you just need basic medication to treat common ailments? Be prepared and get your medical emergency kit to give you peace of mind for the unexpected. The wellness company has created this emergency medical emergency kit. You just have to have it. It has eight emergency medications to treat a plethora of spontaneous infections and viruses. No more emergency freakouts. You'll have everything you need including a guidebook to make sure you're using the right med for the right problem. And the best part is you don't have to go into the doctor or do any virtual visits. You just click the link in the description, order your kit with my code and get 10% off, fill out some simple health information and you will get this kit sent straight to your door. I have a whole medical emergency kit on hand and this is a perfect addition to that. So get yours today by going to twc.health phb. Let's get into the show now. Welcome to the Peaceful Home Birth Podcast, where your journey to a joyful and empowered birth experience begins. I'm your host, Allie McLean, a registered nurse, home birth coach, devoted wife, and proud mother to four incredible kiddos. I've walked the path from trauma to triumph, and I'm here to guide you every step of the way. At the Peaceful Home Birth Podcast, we're more than just a show. We're a community of dreamers, believers, and 
fearless mothers to be. If you're seeking to reclaim your birth story, to transform fear into confidence, and to embrace the beauty of home birth, you found your tribe. My own transformative journey began with a traumatic C-section, propelling me on a quest to uncover the power of home birth. And now I'm on a mission to help you rise above your past, prevent needless C-sections, and stand firmly in the certainty of your dream birth. As a devoted follower of Jesus, I believe that His divine design for birth is inherently good. It is a reflection of His love, strength, and grace. If the dream of home birth has been planted on your heart, know that it's there for a purpose. And I'm here to stand with you as you pursue it wholeheartedly. In a world filled with racing thoughts and doubts, I'm your guide to taking those thoughts captive, making them obedient to Christ, and replacing them with the liberating truth. Together, we'll navigate the challenges that lie ahead, finding not only freedom, but also unbridled joy on your path to motherhood. This podcast is a haven for the woman who has faced the darkness of a traumatic birth and has questioned whether home birth is within her reach. Here we shatter those doubts. Join us for illuminating interviews with remarkable birth workers who share our reverence for the sanctity and splendor of birth. Listen to inspiring women as they recount their triumphant birth stories, each a testament to the strength that resides within you. So whether you're just starting to explore the world of home birth or you're already on this radiant journey, the Peaceful Home Birth Podcast is your sanctuary, your wellspring of knowledge, and your unwavering support system. Get ready to be inspired, to be empowered, and to embark on a path that leads you to the birth you've always dreamed of. It's time to experience the Holy Spirit's power, to embrace the beauty of birth, and to create a legacy of love and strength. Are you ready to transform your birth experience? Let's dive in. Hi, Dr. Tapper. Thanks for coming on the show. I'm so excited to talk with you today. I know you have so much value to share with my audience, and I'm looking forward to seeing where this conversation goes. Before we hop in, would you just explain a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, well, Allie, thanks for having me on. Uh, I come from a family of chiropractors. I've been practicing uh, chiropractic in the wellness area for uh, 14 years. And basically, uh, my dad practiced for 43 years, and my sister and her husband are chiropractors as well. Uh, so our family get-togethers are really exciting. And, you know, I'm very passionate about true health and wellness. And uh, a lot of people uh, know who I am because I took a stand during COVID and for true health. And, um, and you know, the government didn't like that. And I got uh, labeled part of the disinformation dozen. Uh, I'm just sharing that because a lot of people say that's a badge of honor in today's world. And um, so that's uh, basically what I'm all about. I'm for true health and uh, I care about our children and our children's health. And that's uh, where my heart uh, and my passion really lies. Yeah, I love that. And that is one of the main reasons why I wanted you to come on the show because you are so passionate about that. And really our kids start at conception, right? Like the health of our children start um, with the decisions that women are making um, for their health and the health of their baby. So I know that um, this conversation is going to be really helpful for a lot of people out there. And I also love that you grew up in the natural health 
world, which most people are just now starting to look into and think that maybe it's not as crazy as it once was portrayed. So could you explain um, a little bit about what you do currently, like with chiropractic care and how that is beneficial for maybe women and babies? Yeah. So basically, you know, I, um, you know, I focus on obviously chiropractic. It's, it's really a, it's a form of healthcare that really just focuses on aligning the body, um, moving joints that are what we call subluxated or fixated, especially during pregnancy. I mean, you know, the pelvic outlet, um, you know, the baby travels through the canal and the pelvic outlet has to be aligned it allows for the most amount of room for the baby to travel through. And let's say you have an ilium that's subluxated, a pubic bone that's subluxated, or, I mean, people don't realize we label the pelvis. I mean, not including the sacrum, but if you look at the ilium, the ischium and the pubis, you know, we just, they're really landmarks of the same bone. Um, And so if that bone is shifted, it can shift in a lot of different variables, but if that, pelvic outlet is, if it's subluxated, that, that, that decreases the uh, the canal and it increases your chances of uh, C-sections or medical intervention. It can make labor uh, more intense. It can be increased in, um, in pain. I mean, there was a study that was published here recently that talked about women who were under chiropractic care throughout their pregnancy. They had like a 50 uh, 50% less medications, 50% or 60% less hospital um, intervention. And I think it was like like 40 or 50% less C-sections just by getting into the chiropractic, uh, chiropractic care. It makes a world of difference. And so, you know, that's, that's in itself can help tremendously. But, you know, it's not just what I focus on in, in chiropractic, but we, but we help a ton of ladies out. We used to have a wall at our office with all the pregnant mamas that we would help. And all those, the women on the wall would have, they had a two hour um, labor delivery and it was in and out. And, and so it just speaks volumes for the, the women who run our chiropractic care. And, and so um, that's basically what we do. And, you know, we, we do adjustments to the pelvis and there's, it's a very light adjusting. And so, um, and we can actually do like Webster techniques as well to help get the baby to be in a good position. Um uh, prior to delivery, we've have we have flipped babies. Um, I mean, right up to the due date, we flipped those babies the week of, um, and we had we've had breached babies that they were scheduled for C sections, and I had mamas come in here desperate and they want help, and we've we've helped those mamas out. So it's a real thing, and it, and it does wonders for for mamas. Yeah, definitely. A chiropractor is a huge part of a care support team for any pregnant woman. I have firsthand. Um, experience between the differences of not having a chiropractor versus having a chiropractor. In fact, I even got adjusted in labor after a very, very long labor. And um, I got adjusted. Finally, my labor really kickstarted and I had a baby five hours later. So I'm so, so thankful that that was um, an option for me. But you had mentioned being a part of the disinformation dozen. Would you talk a little bit about that and how um, Yeah, I think one of the major reasons, too, I had you on is just to talk about some corruption that may be happening that a lot of people don't want to talk about. They like to keep it silent because it's it almost seems a little 
too crazy to think that our government or even our healthcare system isn't really helping. It's not healthcare, right? And so I'm curious what your wake up story was. Um, Why did you talk about this? And um, how did you get labeled part of the disinformation dozen? So I'm assuming I can speak freely in your podcast. Oh, 100%. Go ahead. (laughs) So, you know, the world we're in right now, we are facing fifth dimensional warfare, spiritual warfare, psychological warfare, war on your mind. And this is the war we're in and people don't realize it. And so it's not, we're, we're not fighting a war with bullets and guns. There might be part of the world that that's going on, but really there is a war for your soul, for your mind. Um, you know, and so I have been in this realm, you know, chiropractic is what I do day to day, but I, outside of the chiropractic, I'm here researching, studying, constantly talking about um, different areas of, of corruption and trying to shine a light on that. And that's a, it can be very doom and gloom, but I would put on, I put, I put on vaccine workshops for, you know, for over a decade, I put on influenza workshops and I would talk about how they're manipulating data through the national vital statistics system. And I would have proof of that. And I would expose this and I would talk about how, you know, the media would, would take these numbers. They've been, and they, you know, 90% of the deaths are usually in the, like for influenza, 90% of the deaths are usually in the elderly with comorbidities and they're on 13 plus medications. And, you know, and then they would take that number, they combine all those, those deaths and they would say, look, 80,000 people die of influenza every year, but they, they fail to mention all those other variables. They, and so that raised the question, did they, did they die because they had the flu um, or because was it of the flu, right? Did the flu cause the death or they just constantly had it at the same time? But, you know, so I would raise awareness on this manipulation of data. And I would also talk about other ways that um, are healthy without the vaccinations. I mean, you know, God made our body to to heal and self-regulate and to be well. I mean, he put this innate intelligence inside the body that tells our heart to beat, our lungs to breathe, our cells to communicate. And do we have more faith in a spoonful of medicine or these concoctions and the, the, you know, the power that animates the living world? And God made our bodies to be well, and we don't we don't need to live in fear. Um, and if you look at the history, the history has been uh, really, um, how do you say it? There's a lot of corruption in history. We have, during the Spanish flu even, I have documentation from the Spanish flu over 100 years ago, how they were pushing manipulation of data, how they were coercing um people using fear tactics to coerce people to to get an experimental influenza vaccine. Um, to give you an example, the Spanish flu was 100 years ago. Um, there was documentation that I have here that talked about how they had mask wearing, virtue signaling. Um, they said, you know, basically, um, you know, there was people that had signs that said, wear a mask or go to jail. They had businesses that were deemed essential, non-essential. And uh, they said, stay home. There's nothing you can do. And they said, basically, we have an experimental influenza vaccine coming to the market. And that was when the influenza vaccine hit the market during the Spanish flu. And, you know, the AMA came out and stated that there's been no controlled trials adequately demonstrating a decrease in prophylactic vaccination, uh, um, decrease in influenza after prophylactic vaccination. So that raises the question, why would we want to be experimented on? And that was the same song and dance during COVID. And so... You know, I started blowing the whistle on this, like, hey, there's they're manipulating data. 
they're trying to get a vaccine on the market. They've been trying to do this. They've been trying to get a Corona vaccine on the market for, for years. And so I saw this coming. We had a, a seminar in 2019. Um, so it was in November of 2019. And I, I saw all this draconian legislation coming our way. I said, they're trying to take away our rights and freedoms to re, to refuse a pharmaceutical product. And basically I, um, I had a seminar, right? And it was, we had a blizzard and we still filled the convention room in, in, in Village Point, Omaha here. And I said, this is a, um, I said, this is a, a serious topic. We had the ACIP, which is the advisory committee for immunization practices. They stated that they can't force vaccinate, but they can force compliance. Uh, so how, what, what was the agenda? What was the plan? And then you had event 201, which was a dress rehearsal to the pandemic, which was very odd, the timing of it. And if you're not familiar with Event 201, I highly recommend you go research it. Go to Rumble, type in Event 201 and watch it. It was a simulated dress rehearsal prior to the pandemic, before the pandem pandemic even started. It was literally two months before the pandemic started. It was a dress rehearsal. So I was like, I was in this, I was paying attention. I was watching all this. I was trying to blow the whistle on this. And so, um, and then when January came around, Corona Baloney hit, February, we put on another seminar. Um, and I was talking about how this is it. This is the Trojan horse that they're going to implement all this legislation. They're going to try to scare the people. They're going to push this vaccine on the market. It was bigger than a mask. It was, it was an agenda. Um, they censored me early on. Um, they put me in a, I don't know, a three month ban on social media. Um, and then, you know, in August, I spoke out in the mask hearing, you know, and I, I prayed, um, Lord, let these words fall far and wide. You know, I, I knew what I was getting into the, the, uh, city council room was filled with hundreds of people. And I prayed, Lord, turn me into a lion. And I, I, I prayed, let these words travel far and wide. Uh, I spoke very passionately in that video, you know, in, in 24 hours had 3 million views. And I was like, what did I just do? Um, the Lord answered that prayer in a big way. And, and two months after that, I got labeled uh, the disinformation dozen. The government, uh, this it was a center for countering digital hate, which is a comical name. This organization appeared out of nowhere. And the very first hit piece they put out was on the disinformation dozen. And, um, and basically, they claimed that we were responsible for 65% of the the so-called disinformation uh, online regarding uh, misinformation about vaccinations. I'm like, oh, that's it, 65%. I'll shoot for 100. <laughs> so, yeah, that was. Uh, and you know, um, once that happened, my, you know, my social media, we were reaching three to four million people a month at one time, and then uh, the Biden called us on national television, and and our all my social media was deleted. Um, my PayPal accounts were taken. Uh, Venmo was seized. Um, and so, yeah, there's a whole lot more to that, but, but yeah, it's, that's uh, the story of the disinformation dozen. Yeah. That is an intense story. It's very dr draconian. Like how in the world is something like this happening? But back in 2020, when this all started happening, I think your video went so viral because a lot of people weren't understanding what was happening. Like they had a deep gut um, feeling like something was off, but they didn't have the words or the research or even the community around them in order to feel confident enough to start asking questions. And so back in 2020, when this was happening, a lot of women were started to be fearful 
because they didn't know what was going on and they didn't know, you know, how they were going to be able to have their babies, if they were going to be able to go to the hospital. And you had mentioned um, not being able to force vaccination, but to force compliance. I'm just curious, do you see in the future a possibility happening where it gets to the point where we may be denied medical care um, if we don't comply? Um, are women who are pregnant, could you see a possibility of them being denied access to the hospital to have their babies? Or is that totally like not in the picture at all? What's it's, your- it's already. It's, it's already in the picture. You're, you saw that already happening. I've had people reach out to me during the pandemic. One guy in particular, his wife was dying in the hospital, not due to COVID, but they wouldn't let him into the building because he wasn't vaccinated. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so he, uh, you know, he contemplated on taking up arms. He's like, this is my wife and she's on her deathbed. And they would not let me into the hospital to see my wife because I wasn't vaccinated. Another, um, they discriminate against the unvaccinated and you're seeing that you're seeing it all over the world. You're seeing it because I mean, how many people, um, there was a nursing home. I had a patient that, uh, her dad was in a nursing home and he refused the vaccination. He's still very sharp minded. Uh, and he refused the vaccination and they treated him so poorly. They wouldn't let him leave his room. Another, um, another gentleman during the pandemic, he, um, you know, he, he told me his brother was, uh, in a in a situation like that and he they just weren't giving him proper care and he had to visit him through the window because he wasn't vaccinated he had to look through the window and and you you saw that throughout um the pandemic the problem is the fear is what's crippling and the fear of this whole germ theory and why we're told what we're being told why we're sick it's really a flawed philosophy I mean, the germ, germs can cause problems, but I'm old enough to remember when germophobia used to be a mental disorder. Now it's considered a virtue, right? And so you have, um, you know, the cause of all disease is not um, a droplet that just is like a boogeyman and I just happen to run into it and get bad luck and now I got crony baloney. That's not how it works, you know? And and I, I would see hundreds of patients in my office every week and I still do. And, you know, during the whole pandemic, I didn't close. I didn't wear a mask. I came in close proximity with every single patient. And I would always tell people like, you know, I see roughly, thank the Lord, I would see two to 300 patients every week during the whole pandemic. And I was like, you know, I'm coming close proximity. I would see sick patients all the time. And I never got sick. Thank the Lord. And I would say, well, how many patients do I have to see? How many violations do I have to be in before this whole contagion claim is, is mathematically impossible? And so we, then you have to raise that raises some questions and why are we sick and what causes us to get sick? And it's really a mind shift. It's a paradigm shift from what we are told. And really, you know, we're told that we're sick because of bad genes or, or, you know, or bad germs or bad luck. And really that's not true. It's that's bad science. We're sick because, you know, genetics do play a role in pathology like Down syndrome or cystic fibrosis, right? But it's one to 2% of pathology if we don't have a genetic disorder, we have an epigenetic, which is lifestyle. It's focused on toxicities and deficiencies and the, the physical, the chemical, the emotional, spiritual um, issues there. I mean, and, and so it's really, you know, our level of health is really the genetic expression of how we eat, move, think, pray, and relate. 
And going back to, you know, why we're sick, you know, the, the germ theory, germs can cause problems. Yes. You know, I'm not saying they can't, but they can. Bacteria can cause problems, germs cause problems, but it's not the full onset cause of disease. I mean, if we were to swab your throat you and did a swab, a cultural test, you'd find streptococcus bacteria. Well, why don't you, and, but you want to get diagnosed with strep throat, right? It's when you have this overaccumulation of streptococcus, that's when you get diagnosed with it. But is streptococcus the cause of strep throat or is it a deficiency or is it a toxicity? And so yeah, it goes back to understanding um, what real virology is in the, in the name of an old tongue. It's not the, uh, you know, what virology is today. We're told that it's just these, these, these viruses that are just living on things and we just happen to get run into it and get bad luck. That's not really the truth. That's not the case. The real root root meaning of virus is really a poison or toxin. And so going back to the cause of diseases, it's always toxicities and deficiencies and blaming disease on on the germ is a lot like blaming the rats for the dump. Mm -hmm. And we have to value our health now before we get sick. And that's the key. An ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. And, you know, there is a time and place for medicine and I don't want to bash medicine or the medical world because medicine can be life-saving, but really we we're, we're neglecting the whole paradigm that I operate in. And that's the wellness paradigm, the wellness and prevention paradigm. And that's the key, uh, you know, valuing our health, um, and, you know, we, it's kind of like the illustration on fire, who you're going to call the fire department, right? Um, you're not going to call the carpenter, right? So they both serve a purpose. One's there to put the fire out, one's to rebuild. And that's the way I view the medical establishment and the wellness prevention paradigm. I mean, the, the, allopathic medical establishment, they're the firefighters. God bless them. I mean, if I was ever in an emergency situation, I'm in, I'm in their care. They are the masters of crisis care. But it's really silly, you know, once the fire's out, to call the fire department again to try to rebuild the house. That's when you need a carpenter. And that's kind of how I view myself. You know, we're there to help the body to rebuild, to get it back to where it needs to be and get it back to to a functional home. And, but the problem is big pharma has grown completely out of their scope of practice. They persecute silence and uh, basically ridicule anybody that speaks out against them. And so many people tell me, Oh, you're not in, you don't have the business to speak on the matter. And, and I beg to differ. I said, no, this is my scope of practice. This is my, my paradigm. I'm trying to defend it. Um, it's just big pharma has grown so big and, and so is our government. Um, and, you know, that's goes back to the quote of Benjamin Rush. You know, he was a signer of the Declaration of Independence. And, and I said this in my speech, but, you know, he said that we need to put medical freedom in the Constitution because the time will come when medicine will organize into an undercover dictatorship to restrict the art of healing to one class of men. And that time is now. It really is. Yeah. Yeah. And I think one, one of the major things that I hear most of my listeners are struggling with is just a lack of confidence. Like they see, they're starting to see the two different paradigms, right? You have the allopathic band-aid care type medicine and you're having the wellness paradigm, right? They're starting to see that more clearly, but what is hard is kind of jumping from one to the other. And they're finding just such a lack of confidence and they're, 
they're realizing I have this responsibility, but I'm not super confident to take the steps that I need to, to operate in this new paradigm of wellness. So do you have any encouragement or maybe even like a practical step that somebody who's just starting to see there's another way of operating? How, how can they do that? And how can they do that with confidence? Where do they find that from? Well, it's, there's four pillars of health. First and foremost, there's faith. Um, there's fitness, there's function, there's food. And so basically faith is the, one of the most important pillars. I believe it's above all else, you know, hope is a, a very powerful drug. It's hope over um, doubt and fear. You know, fear is the fire that fuels the furnace of disease. Fear should never be used in a, in a medical setting, uh, especially for providing care for a patient. And it's really evil when docs do that. But anyway, you know, starting with faith, having hope that you can be well and understanding that your body's ability to be well and overcome diseases is far greater than anyone has ever permitted you to believe, including our government and Fauci and Gates. And But trusting the body's innate intelligence inside the body, the, you know, God made our body. We were fearfully and wonderfully made and trusting that system, trusting him. You know, um, during the pandemic, we had Psalm 91 on our, and our hanging up. It's like, you know, we live by that verse. We're not going to, we're going to have faith. We're going to be under God's wing. And so not giving into that fear, that emotion, because as, especially as a new mama, new parent, you have this constant fear of, oh my goodness, my baby's got sniffles or my baby's got a fever. And we want to intervene in that area. And it's like, you know, your the baby's system is good. Don't interfere with fevers. Don't interfere with that. Just let the body's immune system run. Um, and, you know, breastfeeding the baby is so important. It helps that baby's immune system, but trusting the system, you know, what I do, people say is like really alternative, but we are the original, like the stuff that we push, the stuff that we talk about, it's nothing alternative. This is healthcare. And, you know, the mainstream is, is really the new age medicine that has nothing to do with what we do is really primitive stuff. It's old school it's, it's very organic per se. And it's, it's, it's been around for thousands of years. I mean, bone studying has been around for thousands of years and, and just our philosophy. Uh, we just trust the body's innate intelligence to heal. Um, so not to give in fear is a big one, but understanding the four pillars of health. So faith and there's fitness. We need to understand that we can move. Moving is mo motion is lotion and movements and nutrients. So we need to move well, um, uh, also, you know, um, what else in the, uh, so we have function, we need to function well, and then food, you know, our food is designed to look better, smell better, and taste better, but it's nutritionally bankrupt. And so those are the main pillars. Uh, I also say like eat well, move well, think well, pray well, relate well, because all those have, a, uh, all, all of those connect in some way. And they, we live our life through the nervous system. And so it really makes a world of difference how our thoughts, uh, affect our health because our thoughts can change our physiology. We had a sign in my old office that, you know, your thoughts can change your world in a second. And so we need to think well, focus on what's good, what's righteous, what's pleasing to the Lord. That's a big one. And, you know, and eating, you know, this is my biggest weakness is food. I have a sweet tooth and I grew up in a household where, you know, we had ice cream after every meal and so it's hard really for me to, if I have sweets in my house, I'm going to sniff it out like a raccoon and I'm going to find them. And so it's one of those things where, you know, I tell my wife, don't buy that stuff. Cause I don't want it in my house. And, and so, you know, I, I don't, I don't, uh, I just understand that I'm not gonna be perfect, but in, you know, for, um, 
food wise, I try to, I do the 80, 20 method. Um, you know, 80% of what I consume is what I preach. And then maybe that 20% can be a sweet here and there and special occasion food. But, uh, but we live in a fast paced world. And so it's hard. And, and we live in a world where information is thrown at us in every direction. So it's hard to kind of discern what's true. But this biggest thing that to start with is just trusting the Lord, trusting that he made our body well, that we should not give into fear. And that's an understanding that your body is designed to be well, if we give the body what it needs. Yeah. And that's something that, I mean, that was a major reason I started this podcast is because I was finding as I was talking to women who were preparing for birth, they were so fearful about all the what ifs that could happen and, you know, all the pregnancy complications out there. Um, And they just had like an overall distrust of the design of birth. And ultimately, when you look at the design of birth, you can know like God created it so well. And he created you to be able to procreate. And if it was inherently designed like flawed, we wouldn't have the human race today. So going back to that design and trusting the Lord and his good design really is such a good place to start. And I love that you pointed that out. So going back to confidence, you have the faith and you have can you talk a little bit more about um, fitness maybe during during pregnancy? Like what are some things that women can be doing very practically in order to get that in? Um, well, I know it's so hard, especially when you're feeling sick or when you're feeling achy. Uh, is there something that a pregnant woman could very easily do? Yeah, I mean, it's the biggest thing is you don't need to make it complicated. You don't need a gym membership. I mean, just get yourself like an exercise ball at home can do wonders for the hips. Um, and what I call it getting into the pocket. I mean, you're trying to get uh, into the squat pocket, you know, trying to get that below parallel the with the femurs kind of out at an angle and letting that pelvis drop in and getting to that, that squat uh, pocket is a key. Um, this is a deep squat and almost just trying to work the hips side to side um, and just getting that motion there. Like doing figure eights is something I tell a lot of pregnant mamas to do. And just going side to side too on that on that um, on the exercise ball is huge. You'd be amazed at what that movement can do for opening up the hips, getting that baby into a good position. Also for the health of the spine, just getting that movement in there. Um, you know, the worst thing we can do is be you know sitting at a, a desk while you're nine months pregnant um, for eight hours a day. And I've had mamas do that. They worked all the way up to the labor and they're sitting for six to eight hours at a desk job. And I'm just like, oh my goodness. And they're, and they, they come in and they want me to work miracles for them. And I said, you got to start moving. You just got to start moving. And the simple, simple solution just be getting an exercise ball and putting those hips into motion. It, and that can do wonders. Um, also like cat and camel exercises, just getting that motion, that thoracic and that lumbar spine, just kind of flexion extension. Um, those are really good exercises. And also walking. Walking is a real simple exercise. I recommend just going barefoot in the house. Increasing that proprioception is a big thing as well while we're walking around the house. Feel the carpet and your feet. Walk slowly. Be conscious on how you're walking. You know, and shoes are vitally important. No, Not even when you're pregnant, but just in general. The feet are the bottom of the spine. And so we need to, to take care of the, our feet. And if we treated our teeth like we do our feet, we'd all be indentures. So we need to make sure that we have good shoes on our feet. Uh, I recommend shoes without heels. 
I recommend a wide-toed shoe that allows the toes to fan out the way God intended it. Um, you know, so many people have, um, we have an epidemic of dysfunction in the feet. And I, you know, I adjust a lot of feet. And so I see a lot of feet. And so, uh, you know, I, I can tell you a healthy foot from a dysfunctional foot. It's just by looking at it, it's very easy. And it's really dependent upon the shoes. There's a physiological law in the body called Wolf's Law. Excuse me. And that Wolf's Law is, you know, we use it like uh, braces uses, the, uses this law. And, you know, braces, we put braces on the teeth and it uses Wolf's Law to adjust the teeth by pushing, you know, using force. And so if Wolf's Law is basically... Um, you know, the body will shift its, its tissue, whether it's whether it's soft tissue or bone in the direction that force is applied. And so if we have heels constantly elevated and if we have toes that are pointed um, and this kind of shift and adjust the foot. And so I see so many toes that are crunched in together that they don't move. And then that'll trickle all the way up to the heel and to the ankle and to the knee and to the hip and that lower back. And so it really, really does make a difference on the shoes that we're wearing. So a lot of pregnant mamas, I say, go barefoot around the house, go barefoot, go get your feet on the ground, get your feet in the dirt. It's good. Um, and that's a whole other topic, but that's, uh, it's one of those things where I, I highly recommend that. And, um, it's, you know, it's, it's simple. You don't need to make it complicated. Yeah, no, that is so helpful and so encouraging. And just kind of going back to those four pillars, what I was hearing in there is very much like a mind, body, spirit connection. You have the faith, you have the food, which is the body. Um, and then you have your thoughts and how important are your thoughts? This is something that is so fascinating to me is neuropsychology and the fact that our brain can literally rewire itself and how our beliefs um, really impact our decisions and then our decisions impact our physiology. So we're so connected but we were talking before I started this recording and just how Christians kind of struggle with this. And I don't know if you see this as well, but um, for some reason, it is very um, separate and we don't see it all being connected. So we only look at the body and we only look at the spirit. Um, rarely, I'm finding Christians are, are thinking rightly, even though it is all throughout the Bible how our thoughts are so important Take captive our thoughts tells us exactly what we should be thinking about. And I believe, and I've seen that when our thoughts are aligned with the truth, we're overall healthier. And I think God really wants us to be healthy. Like he sees uh, and put things in the Bible for our good and his glory. So would you talk a little bit more about this mind, body, spirit connection, maybe how to facilitate that during pregnancy or postpartum? What does that look like? What does that mean to you even? Well, yeah. So I, you know, basically in health, all of healthcare and even in study in the body and it's college, you know, we compartmentalize the body for ease of study and we do that even in healthcare. And so, you know, so we we have to understand that the body is one unit. Everything is just one system working together. Every thought that you have is transmitted through your brain, your nervous system. Everything you eat is consumed and trans transferred through the nervous system, and everything you move is through the nervous system. And so our thoughts absolutely play a role. And you know, emotional trauma is almost identical from a neurological standpoint to physical trauma. I mean, I mean, it's. I mean, obviously there's blunt force and that can cause other things, but how it neurologically, you know, from a physiological standpoint, it's almost identical. Um, but it, it's one of those things where we have to uh, really, really focus on the good. 
and understand the power of our thoughts. And, you know, Zig Ziglar said, if you knew the power of our thoughts, you'd never have a negative thought again. Um, and really focusing on what's good. Holding, I love what you said with holding your thoughts captive. You know, we all are vulnerable to doubt. We're all vulnerable to, to difficulties and hardships and, uh, but you know, the righteous might fall seven, but you get up eight. If you're in a hard time or whatever it may be, you have to dig deep and focus on the good and understand if you're in a storm right now, I mean, the Lord wants us to cling to him. I mean, he's the immovable and storms are inevitable. And, you know, we have to understand that the sun is shining brightly on the other side of that, on the clouds. And, you know, as difficult as it may be, but understanding too, if we're dealing with hardships in the past or struggles in the past or whatever it may be, you know, Satan is there to try to always dangle that old leaf in front of you and say, that's who you are. And I love the illustration of a Etch-a-Sketch because it's like the Etch-a-Sketch is a great illustration. You know, Satan wants to show us the pictures that we, who we used to be on Etch-a-Sketch or the things that we did, Right. And God's like, no, my mercies are new each day. You're forgiven and you are a new creation. That's not who you are anymore. And it's like, that's like shaking that edge sketch up. And that's such a relief to have. Um, and that's why it's so important to have that faith element and have a relationship with Christ and understanding that we are a new creation and understanding that he loves us and and he wants to be our friend. And, and he's not a God of condemnation, but a God of conviction and and he will definitely convict us because he wants what's best for us. He wants us healthy, like you said. And and so, um, but it is, again, going back to really focusing on what's good um, and, and our thoughts. And, and that's where it all starts. Every decision we make is in every journey that starts. It always starts in between the two ears. And so thinking well is one of the most important pillars of all time. I mean, our thoughts can change our physiology. Um, and so hopefully that answered your question. I kind of yeah. rambled on there. No, I think, I think it is so helpful. I mean, that's one thing I help women with the most is like figuring out where their belief systems are at and tracing it back to some thoughts that just keep racing around in their head. And then we submit that to the Lord, like what is the truth and rewiring that brain and realizing mm -hmm. that God has given us everything we need yes, to amen. be able to take our thoughts captive and to be healthy and to make right decisions. And it, when you realize that there's such empowerment, I do think though, that this comes back to awareness. I believe it really starts with awareness, which is why I'm so thankful for what you do and for how you mm -hmm. spoke up, because I think there was just an overall lack of awareness of what true health was. And mm -hmm. when we are getting told something by the majority that can really impact our belief systems when when a thought and a feeling is paired together together over time it creates a belief and so there was um this thought of this is the only way to be healthy and then there was fear on top of it so many people had distorted belief systems and were making decisions out of that belief so the awareness that you spread i mean i fully believe the holy spirit empowered you in that moment to give that message. And I'm so thankful. And then I think the next step is questioning. So what questions should like pregnant moms, new moms, parents, dads, even, um, be asking themselves when it comes to being well, when it comes to certain decisions, um, that they may make, I know 
I was absolutely terrified with my first even asked the question of, should I vaccinate my kids? Like Mm. it was terrifying because I didn't know anybody really that was making an alternative decision. So um, there was a lack of awareness. And then finally, when I started asking questions, that's when things started to travel. So what questions should people just be pondering? Well, it's a good question. I mean, a, we should definitely, I encourage you to dig deeper on the vaccination side and really question whether or not, excuse me, I mean, are these vaccinations worth it or, you know, and, and figure out which route you want to go in that regard um, and do your homework. That's something I, you know, one of the questions starting out is like, okay, you know, number one question is which vaccines would you do and which, and so, you know, I don't think there is a safe vaccine on the market. Uh, You know, you look at the history of vaccinations, even polio, um, you know, polio myelitis, that's the question I always get when I, when I talk to new parents about vaccinations, they always resort back to polio a lot of the times. And, you know, if you look at the history of polio, there's a book out there called the moth and the iron lung. And I recommend getting that book. It's a really good book. But polio means gray, myelitis, is spine, and itis is inflammation. Um, we diagnose polio by, you know, location and observation, observing inflammation of the gray matter of, of the spinal cord. And the gray matter is the key there because polio means gray. Um, and so that's why uh, it got the name poliomyelitis. It was inflammation of gray matter. Anyway, um, but if I were to give someone arsenic or lead, you're going to have inflammation of gray matter. Well, doesn't that, isn't it bioidentical to polio? And that should raise some questions. And in history, we're always taught that, you know, if if the medical establishment doesn't understand the cause of disease, they always blame it on a virus. I mean, scurvy was blamed on a virus for the longest time. And now we understand it's a vitamin C deficiency. But I really, really encourage the parents to ask questions, dig deeper. Don't listen to the CDC. Don't listen to the big pharma and go outside of that regard and really look deeper like hepatitis B. Well, they do vaccinations in utero now. So pregnant mamas are going to, they're going to try to get, you know, the RSV vaccine. They're going to try to get COVID vaccines. They're going to try to do flu vaccines in utero. Um, you know, it just used to be the hepatitis B vaccine was the first one out of the gates. It still is, but you know, they're doing in utero vaccinations, but hepatitis B, you know, is a sexually transmitted disease. Um, you know, there's no reason to vaccinate a healthy, uh, baby for hepatitis B. You can pre-screen the mom for hepatitis B. And if the mom is not sharing needles or not in an environment where hepatitis B is going to be rampant, there's no reason to even justify the, uh, putting that baby in the harm's way. They give that vaccine the first 12 to 18 hours of life. Um, and also vitamin K and vitamin K is another one. That's a kind of a hot topic. It does have a black label on the uh, black box warning means that the shot has caused death and then caused problems. It overloads the liver. That's why most babies get jaundice after vitamin K, but I highly recommend do dig, digging deeper. And if, um, you know, there's some really good documentaries out there. Realimmunity.org is a great documentary. Um, 1986, The Act uh, is a great documentary by uh, Wakefield. Uh, Dr. Wakefield is a, f- a friend of mine. He's very, very genuine. I don't care what the media says about him. He's, uh, he's a truth teller. He's a whistleblower, and he's one of the most brilliant-minded people I've ever met. Um, so Wakefield is an awesome guy. Um, Dissolving Illusions is another great book. Um that's a good one. Um, the Poison Needle is also another great book. That's an older one. Um, there's another book too, um, you know, um, The Vaccine-Friendly Plan. That's Paul Thomas's book. That's another book I think it's a, a lot of people like. 
Um, and there's also the Miller's review of the 400 peer reviewed studies because people say, well, where, where are the studies? Well, I think I have over five or 6,000 studies just in my library alone. So when they say where are the studies, I usually overwhelm them. And then when I send them all the studies, they'll always resort to, well, you're just a quack. You're just a quack. I'm like, okay, thanks. So anyway, that's kind of how, how debates go. But, uh -huh. but anyway, that's um, hopefully I answered that question for you, but that's, you know, dig deeper, ask questions, you know, do you want to vaccinate or not? That's the simple question. And, and if you don't, um, wow, you're going to go into the, the, a scary world and it's going to be, but I'm telling you, I've been doing it. That's the world I grew up in. I was never vaccinated as a child and I'm still here today. My brother and sister were never vaccinated. They're still here today. They have kids. They were, they were never vaccinated. My kids were never vaccinated and they're some of the healthiest kids you'll ever meet. Thank the Lord. And there's nothing to fear. Fear is the fire that fuels the furnace of disease. And so, you know, God made your body. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. And so when you have that baby, welcome that baby, love on that baby, breastfeed that baby, and your baby will be just healthy. Yeah. So. Yeah, I love that. I think that is definitely something that women should be posting on their wall. It's <laughs> like fear is, can you say that again? Fear is the yep. fuel that. Fear is the fire. Oh, fear is the fire that fuels the furnace of disease. Yeah, that is, that's powerful. And just a quick funny story about the hepatitis B vaccine. So one of my children I ended up having at home, I had COVID during it and I was coughing. I lost my sense of smell <laughs> and she didn't nurse overnight and was just very sluggish, had a very low heart rate and obviously low glucose because she wouldn't nurse. So we did end up going to the hospital, went in because I thought maybe she had group B strep or I wanted to make sure she was okay. Well, instead of the, the very first thing that they were concerned about was hep B and they came in and they wanted to give her the hep B vaccine and they were just presenting it as like, Ooh, we're so worried that this could be it. And we're just going to vaccinate her for this. And I was like, no, actually you don't need to do that because I don't do drugs. And my, you know, I've only been with one person and my kid has never done any of those. So, um, she looked at me like she was shocked. I knew what I was talking about. <laughs> and so thankfully everything was fine. She was okay. And she, you know, but anyways, she, uh, I think it's powerful when you know things about um, how to even treat it. And I know that was one question that I do encourage everybody to ask is what are the vaccines for? And is there a way to treat that naturally? Because I think that is where the power comes from is just knowing, okay, if this did happen, like if my kid did get whooping cough, how would I treat that? Um, and taking right. that radical responsibility as a parent to be the first line of treatment, to be the first person um, to to assess your child and to know what's going on with your child. That is powerful. And praying over your child before you make mm -hmm. any decisions. Um, prayer is so powerful. Um Actually, one of my, my last baby, he was two days old and I started checking his temperature cause he was feeling really warm during the night. And so I would check it and it kept going up and up and up and up. And my first thought was, Allie, do not make decisions out of fear. Like fear is not, not going to help in this situation. So I turned on some music with the frequencies, like the four, four, four Hertz. <laughs> 
<laughs> we could talk more about that too. Um, but, and then I just started praying over him, like, Lord, fill his body with life and all, you know, all of that. And like against any attack of the enemy. And it got up to the point I had set in my mind, I'm only going to allow it to get to this far before, you know, I seek outside help. Um, but I was that first person to assess him, to pray and to ask for wisdom from the Lord. And you, you know what? It hit right below the, the cutoff for me for asking for outside help. And then it started to come down. I mean, it was amazing and a miracle. And I just, I wouldn't have been able to do that with my first because I didn't know, you know, like I, I, I didn't know how powerful prayer was. I didn't know the body's design and how it was supposed to work. It's, it's amazing what we have at our fingertips to use, to be healthy. And if people only understood that, how much healthier could we be? And I think that's where that wellness paradigm comes in and how powerful awareness of that is. It's huge. You know, that reminds me of a time my wife and I were in Colorado. Uh, We were out in clear out in in the mountains and we kind of got snowed in and it was, it was a magical time. But my, um, my third kiddo, um, he was about, uh, I think a year and a half, maybe two years old at the time. And he spiked a fever. Okay. And so I wasn't concerned, but his fever got up to 106 Mm. and it, you know, it's a high fever. And Mm. so I, we were snowed in. I mean, we were, there wasn't a really, I mean, we couldn't leave. I think we were like in a blizzard and it was nuts. And mm-hmm. my wife was very almost panicky. Mm-hmm. And I just remember holding him in my arms. I put my hands on his chest and I just prayed, Lord, I just prayed for healing. I prayed for the situation. I prayed for him to intervene. And I said, I'm not going to give into this fear. I'm going to trust you. Mm-hmm. And I held him, I don't know, for like maybe two hours. And I just held him in my arms. And then you know, that morning his fever broke and he was good as new. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you know what, if that route could have gone very um, differently, if we didn't, uh, if we gave into the fear, if we gave into that emotion and, and I mean, there's a time and place to have medical intervention, but we need to always trust the Lord in every situation. Mm-hmm. And sometimes those situations, you, you know, in our situation, I, I just had to trust the Lord in that situation. And and thankfully he intervened. And, and so prayer does work. It does work. Um, but yeah, I love your testimony and it just reminds me of that. Yeah. And you know, I think we're both, I mean, we're both medical professionals, so it's like, we're not against that as a whole, but what I think a lot of specifically Christians are missing out on is God being the first step, right? Like Let's go directly to the creator and to the person who has promised us wisdom, right? And so he will give us wisdom when we ask for it. James 1 promises that. And so many people are missing that critical step and going directly to the nurse line. Is my baby like, let's, let's not totally rule that out as an option, but maybe ask the Lord first, like, what should I do in this situation? And then asking yourself the question, am I operating out of fear? And like we we're saying, giving over to the emotion. Um, mm-hmm. it, and that emotion is very real. Like it feels very real in that moment. Um, right. I, I just see this as a practice that many Christians are, are 
really lacking and how much, how many more miracles would we see if we petition the Lord for our children first before we call Amen. them? Oh Amen. yeah. I feel like I could talk about that forever, but what, um, yeah, man, I, I get so worked up about that topic specifically just because I see there's so much power in that, but do you have any last admonishments for my uh listeners encouragement comments anything that you would leave us with today well you know we are at a crossroads in this world and i feel like the soil for truth is rich right now mm -hmm. um and so just understanding that this route I, I i just want to just speak to those who are making this leap of faith into this natural realm that are trusting the lord He'll always provide. He will, he will intervene and you can lean into him mm. um, in every storm. And, you know, if you are struggling with a health concern or condition, um, I just, you know, I just want to, I just pray for you. And I pray that God will intervene for you and that you can trust him. Um, and understanding that, you know, he made your body to be well. So if we give the body what it needs, it can be well. And, you know, if you get anything out of my testimony or just this podcast with me, I just hope you understand that your body's ability to be well is far greater than anyone has ever permitted you to believe. Um, and so we can trust that. And uh, you can always reach out to me. And if you ever have any health questions or concerns, you need a chiropractor in Blair, I'm here. Yeah. So, wow. So thank you. Alan. Thank you so much. Would you uh, tell my listeners how did they how they could connect with you. Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram, Dr. Ben Tapper, if I'm not deleted. Um, it's my sixth account there. Just search Dr. Ben Tapper. It might not pull up. You might have to type in the whole thing. Um, I'm on Twitter, Dr. Ben Tapper with the number one symbol. You can watch our documentary, The Time Is Now. I We just signed a contract with Unify TV. So if you go to Unify TV, you can watch The Time Is Now. You might have to subscribe to the to their streaming service before you can watch the film um and uh yeah that's that's where they can find me awesome i'll put all of that in the description below thank you again so much for your time and for your wisdom and just your courage to speak the truth appreciate it thank you Ellie. I hope you loved today's episode and found it so helpful and encouraging. If you did, would you take 30 seconds to leave a review on Apple Podcasts or send this episode to a friend who has been praying for a peaceful home birth? Lastly, make sure you get my free download of my complete home birth essentials checklist. Make sure you have everything ready to go so you're able to feel at peace and confidence leading into your home birth. This printable checklist has all of the important but less glamorous or thought of items that I have found to be so incredibly helpful to have at a home birth after working with many clients in person. Now get it by clicking the link in the show notes. And as always, thanks for listening and peace be with you.